This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, we have white smoke coming out of the Georgia State coaching search chimney as Xavier assistant Jonas Hayes has been named the team's next head basketball coach. We'll have our immediate reactions to that hire as well as a recap of football spring game and a look back at an impressive weekend sweep for the baseball team. But first basketball. Jonas Hayes is the new Georgia State men's basketball coach. Hayes has been the hotly rumored name, including on this podcast, for the entirety of the brief coaching search and emerged as the clubhouse favorite. CBS Sports' John Rothstein announced a deal was closed late on Tuesday, and the school confirmed the hiring in a press release on Wednesday morning. Hayes is from Atlanta, where he played with his twin brother Jarvis at Douglas High. He comes from Xavier in the Big East, where he has been an assistant coach since 2018, earning a promotion to associate head coach this past season. That promotion led him to be named the interim head coach when Travis Steele was fired on March 16th. He then led the Musketeers to a 2022 NIT championship with wins in all four games he was in charge. Besides that 4-0 record he compiled as an interim, this will be Hayes' first full-time head coaching job. So, gentlemen, Jonas Hayes, the new era of Georgia State men's basketball. What are your thoughts? All right, there's your home run like that. And I'm so glad that the very obvious candidate that everybody said, hey, this guy would be a really good choice for Georgia State was ended up hired by Georgia State. Go Panthers. Yeah, and I'm glad because we spent a fair amount of time talking about him last pod. So we didn't waste that time. And, you know, we were right there. And, you know, like David said, it was the obvious selection made sense for a number of reasons and he wanted the job and it's a chance for him to take his first step into head coaching. And I think a lot of schools out there, especially Georgia looked at him. I don't know how deep in the process it got, but they had the job opening and he's an alum of Georgia. And so I'm sure he had interest. They said no. And at least some of the reasoning was like, he has been a head coach before. He's not a sure thing. And you know, Georgia state, can afford to say, you know, we like this guy. You have something good going. We think it's a good place where someone can step in and win right now. And yeah, we want to hire him. And so I'm glad that we didn't overthink it like some other schools might have. And, you know, Georgia hired a, you know, Mike White out from Florida, gave him a six-year contract. And so even though Jonas is an alum, even if he wins here pretty soon and, you know, he's like an attractive candidate for a power conference school, Georgia might have missed the boat on one of their own, one of their native sons, because, you know, unless they're going to just fire Mike White, not for cause, two, three years into his deal in this scenario, which doesn't seem likely given how much money he's going to be given, guaranteed, then they're going to miss out on this chance if he wins. And, you know, that's that's another part of it. Is that obviously, the hire has to work out, but it, you know, David said home run hire and, you know, racking my brain. I don't know that there's ever been any home run hire like this in Georgia State's history in basically any sport because, you know, Sean Elliott's been a good hire for Georgia State football. But at the time, it wasn't like this can't miss like people had questions. Uh, He hadn't head coached before. Ron Hunter, I think people saw that he had built something at IUPUI. And so there was intrigue. And this was a year before my time. So I can't actually speak to the contemporaneous. This is. Jordan's the expert on this because he was around when that happened. But uh, my feeling 
as looking back, wasn't that people thought this was this big home run that it turned out to be. And, and Rob Lanier, the same way he had been a head coach and it hadn't gone well. And so people had real questions. This is the first one in, you know, really the major sports, any of the sports where you can really point to just how it was this perfect hire that everyone sees and everyone's excited about. And, you know, I think the thing that I like the most about it, this hire is it's kind of in the same vein of what we said about coach Lanier when he came over back in 2019, you know, you've got a guy who is coming from a really nice basketball conference, you know, kind of in a situation where he is able to impact on a team. You know, we're not talking about a team like UGA, you know, we're talking about Xavier who, you know, they, they've not necessarily the same powerhouse that they once were, but they've kind of rebuilt something there. And, you know, this is a guy who's coming from a great situation and can continue to keep that same level of excellence if you will, that Georgia state fans have kind of been accustomed to over the last, I'd say about 10, you know, 10 years. I mean, for sure. I think it matters a little bit less to me because I think that a trap that ADs and professional, you know, GMs and owners and such fall into with hiring is getting a little too obsessed with who someone has coached with and where they come from. You know, you're seeing that with every Sean McVay clone getting hired. And some of those have definitely worked out. You know, Zach Taylor at Cincinnati Bengals, they made the Super Bowl. Seems like it's going well. But I care a little bit less about just like where he's been specifically. And, you know, Xavier Xavier obviously fired their coach. So it's not going 100% for them right now. But I what I like is just the person. And all the Xavier fans that I've seen online talking about this are thrilled for him, have nothing but good things to say about him. Same goes, you know, just around. It just feels like one where everyone recognizes this is a a good college um, college basketball guy, just a good guy in general. And that's type, that type of stuff is what we want to see fed into the Georgia State program as it continues to grow, maybe hit that next step. And, you know, I talked about, you know, this is just one part of it. And he'll probably come in and, destroy the you know win the press conference by default just completely annihilate it when he has that next week but the next part of it is winning and actually putting it out on the court getting those results but i just want to mention and just kind of set out that i think that it is just as important that you have this big win on paper like having the on paper win matters right now because Georgia State is in a weird spot, losing their head coach maybe before a lot of people were expecting it. And they've got the arena opening next year. And so this would be the worst time to have some kind of drop in fan engagement and people wondering if the hire was the right hire and wondering if they're going to re-up their season tickets or whatever. And the response that I've seen from Georgia State people so far has all been everyone's ecstatic. And this is the exact time you want to light that fire because... It, the the quickest way to, you know, I, I think that the risk of losing Coach Lanier, the only one was that you'd be going into an unknown situation with this big arena opening that we've been building towards. And I think with this, you've kind of reset that and everyone feels really good about stuff. And now as he and his new staff get ready to build the roster up in the summer, I think a lot of intrigue, a lot of good feelings are going on right now that the arena's opening and I think the right person's in charge. A lot of people think the right person is in charge to take us into it. 
I would certainly agree with that, you know, and I think there were a lot, I had a lot of questions, you know, coming into this summer and, you know, as we get through the off season, just about what the Georgia state roster is going to look like. And now I have even more questions, you know, and I'm really excited to see some of these questions answered. Um, I, I you know, I'll leave that up to you. If you want to get into some of the rumors and some speculation that we see, you know, I'm totally okay if we abstain, but you know, this man is working and some of the things that, you know, we've seen from some of the guys where he's, you know, talking to or, you know, trying to bring over or whatever, like he's still recruiting as if he is a head coach for one of the better Big East teams, you know, and if that's coming to Georgia State, I mean, you know, I know like two weeks ago, I said that Georgia State might not be favored in the Sun Belt, but can I just like rip that podcast up at this point? Well, the thing about the way the roster is set up that I, there's guys that are coming back and that can be contributors. And obviously one of the first things aside from who he's bringing in that coach Hayes is going to have to do is assess the roster. And it's possible that even though Nelson Phillips has been the only person to leave so far and enter the portal, there might be some conversations that come when he gets here and talks to everyone and guys move on. But the, the fact that there are scholarships available, you know, with Nelson leaving and the two seniors that are not super seniors, so their scholarships count like, there's enough room to where I don't think he has to come in and force people out to get, if he has a couple of guys in mind that he wants to bring in. I think that there's the scholarships available right now that if he's got some guys in mind, it's not going to be overcrowded to the point where he has to have those hard conversations for that reason. You know, those might happen anyway. He might want to branch out and add just a couple more guys. And there just might be guys that coach the near recruited for a specific role that he doesn't envision. And so for his sake, building the best team he wants and also for their sake of not getting, you know, strung along when he's not going to use them maybe as much as they were going to be used. We'll see all that plays out. But I think that the one thing that, yes, you're losing these big seniors and there's a lot of questions, but I think the, the situation is an opportunity in that way because you can add to it without necessarily subtracting. And we'll see how those conversations sort of play out as, Staff gets hired. They have those conversations. Um, yeah, he, I don't know. He He's allegedly getting introduced in, for the press next week at some point. The time and day is still to be determined, but I'm sure by the time that happens, he'll have spoken to the team if that hasn't happened already as we record this podcast. And so I think those conversations start now because I guess having those answers for who's staying, who's playing what role it's pretty important to have those right out of the gate as he's making decisions on recruiting outside the program. And sort of on that note, the thing we haven't really talked about yet, Stan Autry of the AJC reporting what we kind of already assumed given this hire is that current Georgia state assistant Jarvis Hayes is going to stay on staff and coach with his brother. And aside from the obvious, just that is a great story and excited to see the brothers Hayes run Georgia state, so to speak. He's got a guy, Guy that as he's had to do a million things and a half as he accepted this job, he can really trust the opinion on of guys. You know, he can trust Jarvis's opinion because Jarvis was here. He's his brother. He's his blood family, and he knows what these guys that have been on the roster. He's seen them every day in practice, and so he should have a pretty good idea based on that what he's dealing with with this roster. 
that part of it is huge. You know, like that continuity on the coaching staff like that, that honestly can't be overlooked. Do you know what is he going to retain the same role that he had under Coach Lanier? I mean, my hunch right now would be that because I feel like with him being a first time head coach, I feel like the guy who is the associate head coach is probably going to be someone who's had head coach experience. And I don't have anyone in mind for that. I'm just sitting here spitballing and it's possible he could, you know, he gives Jarvis the associate role, but I feel like that's in the same way where coach near had Cliff Warren, who had been the head, the coach at Jacksonville for a decade, having that kind of senior voice who can help you out feels like another natural fit there. And so I feel like it'll probably be the same role, but a little different because, you know, I feel like it's probably not an understatement to say that <laughs> by some measure, that'll be the closest relationship on the staff. And so I, obviously I feel like Jar- Jarvis's role, even if it doesn't officially expand, is going to be that much bigger given that, you know, his brother is going to be the head coach. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um this has been such an, a wonderful time for Georgia State basketball, isn't it? I mean, they've got a new head coach coming in again, you know, and, you know, we like to classify eras usually for schools based on the head coach. But I feel like just the upward trajectory with Georgia State is just really leading to a nice place, especially with this new convocation center. And, you know, man, just I'm very excited for all of this change. Yeah, and I mean, everyone was talking about Jonas Hayes when he led Xavier to the championship, I mean, in the NIT, uh, and everyone being like, who's going to give him an opportunity, and everyone wrecking, like, candidates like that weren't taking the Georgia State job a decade ago, you know, and it all goes back to Ron Hunter resetting this program on its way, and Coach Sunir was only here for three years. Only had the one tournament appearance, uh, although losing the championship game in the second year. But he didn't do anything to take Georgia State off that course. And so it's gotten you to the point where, you know, we're at the end of the coaching carousel. There aren't that many jobs that are open. uh, But really at this point, when Georgia State made their hire, I think it's not embellishment to say that Jonas Hayes was the best candidate on the market. Outside of, you know, like (laughs) guys that are awaiting uh, yeah I don't know, like obviously there was like the sean millers and the archie millers but they had had their jobs by the time georgia state's job had opened up and i think that the reason i kind of kept thinking this was going to happen was because it was the best job for him for where the location was for the fact that it's had success and he could come into a winning mentality it just it when I was looking at it, I just, it seemed like it made sense. And I just think it's says a lot of our George States come that it did play out that way because had some good candidates when coach near ended up getting the job for sure. And that builds back from what coach Hunter built. But I, I just think that you can't overstate how big of a step it's taken and that it's this type of job that can land this guy that is on the, you know, his name's on the lips of all these guys who cover college basketball nationally and watch college ball, basketball nationally. And he's coming to Georgia State. Yeah, that's huge. You know, like that's <laughs> this is not a school that you would necessarily expect that type of hire to happen. And you're right. Like, I think it's just a nice marriage between a guy who 
had a job opening you know there was a really nice opening in atlanta there was a really nice school that's on a, a very good trajectory and you know it's a nice opportunity you know for him to you know we thought that coach lanier would do another year and then you know kind of transition to a bigger school it's fine that he did three like you know this isn't me having any sort of opinion on that but you know if hayes does a good job here you know he's a young guy like he could absolutely take you know some years at georgia state let's let's go with like five or ten you know um but obviously if he you know if this is another successful stop for him you know he could be continue to be a rising star in the coaching sphere and I mean, if he is a rising star, that's still good for Georgia State because Georgia State is continuing to exceed where they are. And, you know, let's say Georgia State is consistently pushing to be a 13, a 12, you know, like that's when you really are getting your head coach poached for some of those bigger job openings. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say we still thought that everything was on a good trajectory with Coach Nier and that while there was this uncertainty of the offseason, that given that he had brought in some good guys in recent years. Uh, I still think there was a thought that like, yeah, everything's fine. So this is not me saying, Oh, if we had kept coaching near things would have gotten worse, but I got to say that if, if this hire hits the way we think it can, like if we max it out the way we see the potential for, this would be a really, you know, a blessing in disguise really to lose coaching near when we did, because if Jonas Hayes, doesn't get any offers. He's like, all right, I'll go be the associate head coach next year with Xavier again and be under Sean Miller for a year and get to coach a couple of games when Sean Miller's probably going to be suspended uh, for the stuff he did at Arizona. He's not going to make it through another, like by the time Georgia State's hiring again, he's not even going to make it through one more offseason. Like he's getting hired next year if it doesn't happen this year. He's that close to kind of making it. And so for all those reasons, you just I still think that Georgia State could have kept doing what they were doing under Coach Neer. It's, again, not trying to say that. It just feels like it was perfect timing if things work out the way that we think they can. Like, it feels like it couldn't have worked out any better for Georgia State that this is when they had to get an opening because we don't know what next year looks like. We don't know that there's going to be a candidate that makes the sense that this candidate makes for the open job. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about football. Of course, spring practice has officially wrapped after the spring game took place last Friday night. Uh, the roster was drafted into two teams, Team Blue and Team White, and the game had a defensive flavor to it as Blue beat White in the end 24-7. to Brady and I were there taking in the sights and sounds, getting a look at the team. Uh, it was a fun event. Uh, athletics says over 4,000 people attended. Uh, it was really lively, lots of... Uh, Lots of crowd engagement and people just enjoying having football back in our lives again. But yeah, I'll leave the X's and O's to you, Brady. Uh, what'd you see? So you throw me like that, and I was going to lead off with like the media grievance, or I guess not grievance, but the opposite of grievance, whatever word you want to go with. Like, I just wanted to say that, you know, we were on the field, on the sideline for it uh, last year for the spring game for obvious reasons. We were up in the press box, and this entire the last time I was in the same area to do an interview with Coach Elliott or with players was at the Arizona Bowl at the end of the 2019 season because 2020 and 2021 all played out. Again, for the obvious reasons to be safe virtually. And so just on that level, it was nice to be back in just the traditional media scrum environment after the game, being on the sideline, taking in the spring game in what is normally the way just things are and a way that we've had to get away from and 
thankfully the world's getting back to a place where we're able to kind of get back to normal in that respect. And so I was just going to shamelessly mention that as, you know, yay media thing. We do like media, you know, that's good. Like, I, I wish I could have been there, obviously, but it is nice that things are really getting that sense of normalcy because, you know, it's always more fun when you're actually there and you have the access that you're allowed to have, you know, so even if it's just a spring game, like that's still nice. Yeah. And, you know, I can't say a ton about the spring game, you know, 24 seven and they drafted the teams. Again, it's the second year they've done the draft and as many years as they've got the roster flexibility to do it as deep as they've been able to go. It's a great thing. You could tell that they were having a lot of fun and, it's a, the other part of you can tell they're having a lot of fun was it wasn't like the crispest game. Uh, it was a little bit choppy around the edges. Uh, there were about four or five trick plays that were attempted that none of them worked out the way the offensive uh, players wanted them to work out. A couple of them resulted in interceptions and uh, defense definitely won the day. And I think just part of that is just they were playing in divided teams that they hadn't done reps with the entire spring. And so I don't think it's a necessarily a reflection of anything to do with like, oh, this offense couldn't do anything, therefore everything's in trouble. Like, it was a spring game. They were having fun. They weren't playing lined up next to everyone that they'd played the entire spring with. And so I don't take a ton away from that. And it was good to see just it, – it feels like everything continues to build in the way that is trending towards Georgia State – getting to those lofty goals they've been shooting for, even as they've been making bowl games and having success. And part of the reason I say that is you've got a guy, Jamil Muhammad, who led the team in sacks last year, really came on strong and would have every reason to, at that point, feel good about himself, not necessarily try to do everything to get ready in the offseason. And he gets awarded with the what they call the Workout Warrior Award for offseason in the weight room workout. And you know, he's pushing the guys. You can tell Coach Elliott told a story at the beginning of spring practice about how the day before spring practice starts, he usually likes to make it a voluntary weightlifting session just to give them a day where they can kind of get set before they're ready for practice. And Jamil Muhammad spoke right after that and said, I'll see everyone in the weight room tomorrow. And it was like a real moment where it's like the team is getting, is making the buy in happen themselves. And it's guys like Jamil that, Again, Coach Elliott, after when we talked to him, I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but it was something along the lines of when your best players work the hardest, that's when you have a great team. And so I just that's something that I noticed just through after the game, just through seeing everything like it's continuing to build and it's continuing to build because the players are the ones doing the leading and taking that extra initiative, because that's what it takes to get from, oh, you're making bowl games every year to even better than that. It's a shame that uh, Jamil Muhammad is no longer a secret and people will have to pay attention to him. But I, if what you are saying is to be believed and I have, you know, every reason to believe you and coach, it's going to be so fun watching his growth and watching him be a starter. Because I presume he's going to be a starter this year. I don't know the breakdown of the draft and how it translates to, you know, who is going to be a first team player and who isn't. But I believe he's going to be a starter this year. And I mean, it's going to be a ton of fun. I will say, like, I don't know the draft order either. I would be shocked if he wasn't the first defensive player taken. 
because part of that's I know that I believe Thomas Gore was one of the captains, so he wouldn't have been drafted. But like, I'm sure if he wasn't the first defensive player taken, he was two or three. Like, everyone wanted him on it on their team. I'm sure for the for that game. You know, I saw the picture that Jordan took. And I, well, I mean, obviously Jordan took a ton of pictures, but the picture that I'm specifically referring to (laughs) was the John Trey Hunter picture. And, you know, talking about Jamil, I just, I really am so excited for all of these linebackers that are going to be there for Georgia State. Like it's, we could be talking about the best linebacking group in the Sun Belt. We could be, you know, I, obviously we have a whole off season and, you know, there are other teams that we'll need to study up on, but I mean, this is a really, really good unit and it you know it, it could as of right now it could be underrated just given that you know Jamil didn't play a full year there was some growing pains you know for John Trey and for Jordan Venzia last year as well and you know um I can't remember is Blake Carroll back yeah yeah okay see I, I, I thought he was so it's just another year with this group and you know that's not even to say anything about the Thomas scores and you know the front line because uh, oh, I just this defense is I, I'm really hoping that what happens in 2022 is different from 2020 and 2021 because if this defense from the opening snap in South Carolina is on like we feel like they can be and they're healthy it's going to be scary hours. And then flipping it on the other side, uh, you know, Jam Williams didn't play. Tucker played very sparingly. And that was a, a theme across the board is that guys that Coach Elliott and the staff knew what they offer, they didn't take a lot of reps this spring because they didn't need to see anything from them. And so it gave younger guys a lot of opportunities. And so what you have is you have guys like Marcus Carroll, who hasn't had a ton of reps, but has been in the program the last couple of years. He was named the most outstanding offensive player for the spring. He had a really good spring. And, you know, Casey Adams came in as a true freshman, enrolled early, and got ready for spring practice this January. And uh, Aubrey Payne was telling us after the game that, the, like, they had seen the stats and they were like, all right, 3,000 rushing yards in a season. Like, and then immediately saw it. Like, from the first practice, they could tell how good that he was already. And Coach Elliott mentioned, he ran for something like 280 yards in their first scrimmage, which I don't know how long that lasted, but 280 yards is a lot of yards in any regulation football game, no matter how many minutes you're out there, how many reps you've got. Uh, and you saw it. You saw flashes of it on uh, on Friday, the spring game. And the thing is, is Tucker and Jam are still going to take a lot of the snaps at running back because we know they're really good and they really set the tone. But you've got these two guys and you've also got Jay Dixon who made steps in this spring that you know, there's five guys at running back that you feel comfortable with. And so out of going from a place where you lost Destin Coates and you lost Seth page and you didn't have Trey Barnett anymore, who you know, the leading rusher in the program's history, suddenly, suddenly the running back room is extremely deep. And that's a scary thing for opposing defenses with how much this team likes to run the ball is that there's always going to be someone who's fresh. And, you know, it's getting to the point where just, I I don't know anything, but I feel like they're going to have to find packages for KZ. I I don't know what running back number in the depth chart he's going to be at the start of the year, but I think it's going to be a thing where as much as he showed in just the spring before he really even probably knew all what he was doing, because it's all, you know, it's a new level of of football for him. 
by the time he goes through fall camp, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just like, all right, we've got to have a KZ package, even if he's not getting as many snaps as Tucker and Jam, just because it looks like he can offer you something right away. And you know, the last freshman skill position player that we could say that about like this was Penny Hart. As a freshman, he he did pretty good. Good. Thousand receiving yards like it was nothing. It was pretty good. Yeah, you know, obviously, like you said, the guys that we expect to be on offense didn't really play too much. So I won't really comment on some guys that I know will be there, but I will just give an offer a general thought that I'm really excited to see just kind of where this offense develops outside of that rushing attack, because you're right. The running back room is deep. I expect it to be very good, just like it was last year, just like it was the year before. Um I'd probably, like you said, will be a little bit better than last year and, you know, potentially up there with that record setting offense from 2020, you know. But to me, that's not where I look for this team to be because we know they're going to run the ball. We know teams know that they're going to run the ball. It's how they use the other stuff on offense to allow them to continue to run the ball. And, you know, how do they get the wide receivers involved? Like what's the quarterback play going to be like? So, you know, that is something that I, it's, that's not going to be something you see in a spring game, you know, couldn't even tell you who the starting quarterback is going to be now because coach Elliott loves to keep that stuff to the vest anyways. And, you know, even if there was a super tight battle, both guys are probably going to be involved or, you know, whoever it is and the, whatever the competition is, everybody's going to get a chance to throw. So, you know, there's only so much you can learn from that, but I am excited this fall to see just kind of what the evolution of the offense looks like, because, uh, you know, you mentioned that this team is still very close to those goals that they want to achieve. And they are for them to get there. You know, they got to hit with those deep passes. They got to hit with that passing offense. And if they are capable of having the same production, both through the air and on the ground, I mean, again, scary hours. Yeah. As far as what happened in the spring game, I can't say a lot separated any of the quarterbacks, but from what I had heard, Darren had kind of taken a step in the spring and that cemented maybe that he was probably going to be the presumptive starter. And so I feel like, Based on that, not so much based on just on the spring game, I feel like it's a little bit settled. But again, at, at this point of the year, it wouldn't surprise me whoever it is going to line up in the shotgun in the first snap against South Carolina. We'll just kind of have to see how it plays out. But I have heard that. And also, it makes some sense because he kind of won the job by being this guy everyone wanted to rally around. He was working hard in practice and he kind of just fought for it and earned it. And so he's had another month as the guy to have everyone rally around on offense and that's ultimately the most important thing i won't say the most important thing like you know throwing the ball pretty important thing but like it is an important thing to have a guy as quarterback that the guy that everyone looks up to and wants to be led by and darren certainly has taken that part on board and you know as we've talked about has never really put the team in a way where they aren't going to be in position to win you know doesn't make a ton of mistakes and so I think until you get a guy who is just outperforming him and out talenting and just making all of the plays happen, it's going to be really hard for Coach Elliott and the staff to turn away from the guy that they know that the team likes and they know that isn't going to make mistakes that put them in trouble. Like that is going to be the thing that gets Darren, even if stuff gets into like a tiebreaker situation, what's going to break the tie, I think, is that 
Darren is reliable. You know that Darren's going to keep you in games and it's going to be more on if they see a guy who's maybe able to win games more, that's going to take the job. But, you know, everything else being equal, I think it'll kind of roll into the same way it ended last season. And it's easy to forget because the bowl game feels like eight years ago, but Darren had his best game of the year in that bowl game when the team just absolutely rolled over Ball State. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good point. And I mean, that was a good Ball State team. And you're right. Darren kind of was just like, yeah, I'm a really good quarterback today. So let's just destroy you. And, you know, if that's the Darren Granger that we see coming up this fall, I welcome it. You know, I'm not going to be as... uh, closed off-ish or whatever to a quarterback competition like I was last year. But, you know, if if Darren is still the guy that's putting up the best results on the field, I'd run with it. Literally. And the other thing is we saw Keelan Brown for the first time, and I don't have a... I have a little bit of an embarrassing anecdote to mention for me is that he wears number five, and so does Bryce Creese, Bryce Creese Brown, the cornerback. And so, one, I feel like you got to put the the first numeral the for the first letter for each of them if they're both gonna wear number five because at first i was like why is bright Chris brown getting warmed up like he's gonna go in and be a quarterback and it took me an entirely too long to put two and two together i forgot that keelan also picked number five um but he's the other guy in that room mckeely's in the room but yeah I, I feel like i you know this is a safe space and i just wanted to share my little i should have known better there story no, that's definitely funny. And like, I would do the same thing too. So don't feel bad. It just, I've used number five with Brown on the back. Like I've been used to seeing who that is. And it just, it was one of those things where I just wasn't staring at a roster or putting two. like, it was such an obvious thing that I was like, how did I make this mistake? But another guy to watch out for, uh, definitely also has legs and wants to run. And, you know, just the other thing I would just say is as for the offensive, maybe struggles, is as much as this team likes running with their quarterbacks, it's really hard for that offense to have success in a spring game where if someone gets within two feet of a quarterback, the refs blow the whistle because they aren't doing contact. Like So that's the other part of it. Uh, maybe should have mentioned that off the top with the other part is that you know the quarterback running is a, such a big part of the offense and it's so easy for the defense to just always take the dive on an option run because... They know that that's the guy that they're allowed to tackle. And if it's the other guy, then someone's going to go touch him or get within a, a foot of him seven yards down the line. And so that that is a factor. Like, we're going to see some big quarterback runs this year that, you know, those plays aren't going to happen in spring games because quarterbacks just don't get that much space. And when everyone gets anywhere near close to them. Although I do want to, uh, you know, shout out Darren Granger. There's a couple occasions where he was like, lobbying down to the guy the umpire on the uh sideline being like making sure that they spotted him where he thought he got to and i I appreciated that extra grind you know the extra trying to make the two yards happen maybe in a different way than during the season uh because you're not gonna have be ruled down by touching during the season but i appreciated that there's the extra level of competitiveness that was happening Hey man, he's got to practice those the balls here points, you know, like that's that's he's really getting in that midseason form. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to baseball. Georgia State got the brooms out and swept South Alabama at the GSU baseball complex, winning 10 to 8, 4 to 3, and 9 to 5 
in the uh, weekend's events. That three-game sweep over the preseason favorites of the conference has upstart Panthers sitting in second place behind Texas State with a 7-2 record in the Sun Belt. The team's Tuesday tilt with Tuskegee got postponed due to inclement weather, but they made it a perfect 4-for-4 this week with a 4-0 win over Reinhardt on Wednesday, a game that was called short after five innings due to the very same inclement weather. They now head on the road to Conway for three against the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina, who are currently fourth in the conference with a 4-3-1 record in Sunbelt games before returning the favor and playing a one-game road leg at Georgia Tech on Tuesday night. The Yellow Jackets came to Panthersville on March 1st. Tech won that outing 4-2. Also of note, Panthers outfielder Max Ryerson was named Sunbelt Player of the Week and Collegiate Baseball's National Player of the Week for his four-home run, 10-RBI outburst in games played in the last week. So, gentlemen, how about the Buslot boys this week? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this vaunted South Alabama team was coming in and it was going to be a tough series in they went and swept it, and now they're sitting at seven and two. And at this point, you know, still a lot of season to be played. But you can't say anything other than that they're exceeding expectations and they're taking that step that I think we were maybe hoping to see this year, and then some. And so this series is just another illustration of that, and it's another illustration of how darn good that they're playing at the GSU baseball complex. I mean, the bats are mashing every game. They just won't stop hitting home runs no matter what opposing pitchers want them to do. And you know, the other part of it, you know, the bats got the headlines and rightfully so. The bullpen did a ton of good work in that series and got them really to those wins because on Friday, Brandon Kaminer only got two innings. He got hit up for five runs. And then Seth Clark came in in relief, early relief, probably before anyone was expecting to be out there. He shut them down. He got only allowed one run in the next four innings. And in that time, the bats got going, erased the deficit, and they ended up pulling away in that one. And you saw that over the weekend where the bullpen was able to get some really big minutes through the middle of the game and down the stretch. You know, Ryan Watson got two saves this weekend. He's kind of been more of a late inning guy after being a starter last year. That Chad Treadway got the save in the other game. And so I think it's totally fair to just gush about the bats and the offense and how that continues to be such a strength at home, but don't let it get missed in all of that. The the bullpen really did a lot of the work that got Georgia state in a position where they were to win all three of those games like they did. Yeah, honestly, you know, obviously they scored a lot of runs this week and um, against South Alabama, but I think you really got to give your hats off to just the pitching staff as a whole for the job that they did. You know, the one start that uh, Chandler Dawson had where, you know, he goes six innings. Obviously, that's going to really save the bullpen after having to be, you know, utilized so much on both Friday night and Saturday night. But at the same time, though, you know, you could kind of say that Seth Clark did that same thing, too, like you mentioned, you know. After Kaminer only went two innings, you know, Clark picks him up and goes four and he looked good doing it. So that's that is the style of, you know, a pitching staff that you really want to have, because, you know, obviously the bats did well, but there's going to be times where the bats aren't going to do so well. You know, we've talked about Georgia State not being able to score runs on the road and, you know, coming up this week and, you know, in the near term future, like there's a lot of road games. So if they are able to pitch well, that'll keep them in games, even if the bats aren't doing as well as they have been. But, like, let's talk about those, too, because, I mean, National Player of the Week by any 
online newspaper, magazine, whatever it is. There's a lot of college baseball teams. There's a lot of good college baseball players that get picked out by that for what you're able to do. Obviously says a lot about the week that Max Ryerson had and four home runs. One of them was the big grand slam on Friday when they were down five, nothing cut it to five, four. And just like that, it's the old cliche with one swing of the bat completely flipped the game over, got Georgia state back in it. They end up winning that game. And Another guy, you know, Luke Boynton hadn't been playing as much, has kind of forced his way into the starting lineup the last few weeks and continues to hit really well. And it's kind of not been what we expected necessarily. You know, it's been Max Ryerson, who wasn't on the team last year, coming in and doing what he's been able to do. You know, Griffin Cheney, we maybe didn't talk about enough because I think the guy we saw the bump from was maybe a Josh Smith or a Will Mize, but Griffin Cheney has been Mr. Reliable and you know, helping lead the team in hitting. And Boynton's another one that's come on strong as of late. Maybe he wasn't who we expected, but you're getting the production. And so it doesn't matter. And you're happy to see that the lineup is on any given day. There's a handful of guys that you really trust and get you a big hit when you need it. And, you know, more often than not, that big hit's going to be something that goes over the fence in fair territory. You know, and even if it's not like like I've been saying, like I'm still loving the at bats that this team is putting together. I'm loving, you know, the repertoire they've had just in being patient. You know, it's not necessarily that they're always accepting walks, but they're, you know, letting guys throw their pitch at them. You know, like this series was a, another good series for them and just being patient, allowing themselves to get deep into counts. And, you know, that's where they're allowed to do more damage. And, you know, getting the nice, if you're going to say it's going to be a shortened game because of rain, you don't want to lose one of those like 2-1 that like you shouldn't have lost, but the game got shortened and you weren't going to be able to play. So beat a team you should for nothing. Going to look nice in the final season scorebook, even if you forget the game, if you forget the game got shortened and you move on. And, you know, it's again, the last time they were on the road, lost two of three to ULM and, you know, we talked about it when that series happened that Coastal and ULM did that weird 1-1-1 split, which is why Coastal also has the tie on their uh, conference record. But it's obviously a good team. It's within this last decade that they won the College World Series and that until time goes on, it's always going to be something you can immediately point to to be like, look, this is a good baseball program. And you're going on the road, which has been a harder task, maybe more than it needs to be or you know, maybe more than you would want it to be. There's been maybe too much of a home road split for the Georgia State team. But, you know, the other way you can look at it is that it's kind of flipped where your Georgia State's coming in seven and two, and it's like Coastal's the ones that are going to have to make sure they don't drop a game or two they shouldn't to at home against an upstart Georgia State team that's, you know, stacking wins together. And that's the pressure that you want for a Georgia State to be applying to guys because, I mean, it's baseball. You know, you know as well as anybody here that the game is momentum sometimes. And you have a team like Georgia State who's a little scrappy, who's the upstart. And, you know, even if they're facing against a team that they shouldn't beat, that's easily territory for them to kind of get a series win, if not a sweep. So, you know, Coastal is going to be the one on their heels a little bit. And, you know, hopefully Georgia State can take advantage of that. And they're 19 and 10 right now on the season. The next win will put them to 20 wins to a 20 win season for the first time since the 2018 season. 
And so that's still like, you know, they were 26 and 29 that season. So it's not like that's this high watermark you want. That feels like just the bare minimum, but just an indication that things are going better now than they have in a few years. And it just gives you more reason to believe everything's trending in the right direction under Coach Stromnall, even as the season, you know, this April is about to be a pretty big gauntlet for the Georgia State baseball team to get through. So, of course, it would not be a Thursday night podcast episode without a question from the one, the only Mike in Marietta now. He says, awesome hoops hire, but what do you think of the new soccer league for GSU men's soccer? So for a bit of context, in case you are unaware, the Sun Belt, as of uh, recording this podcast today, announced the return of men's soccer to league-sponsored sports after taking a couple of seasons off. And the new Sunbelt soccer members are going to be, as of July 1st, James Madison, Marshall, Old Dominion, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, and Georgia State, in addition to Kentucky, South Carolina, and West Virginia as men's soccer affiliate members. So uh, for those of you who are not in the know, that is a absolutely stacked soccer league. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, gentlemen, I would love to hear your thoughts. Gonna have to get down to the new complex down at old old band rehearsal site and one one eighty eight MLK see some of these matches. Uh, I think the number is six of the teams in the new Sun Belt were in the top seventy in soccer RPI. Uh, Marshall season before this one was the champions in the NCAA in soccer speaks for itself. There, literally the best of the best, and. I believe the number was four teams of the current Sun Belt were in the tournament this past year, including Georgia State. And so, yeah, it's getting a little buried because, you know, men's soccer, soccer in general doesn't get the cover that college basketball and college football do. But it's really going to be one of the better soccer leagues in the country. And, I, you know, this is the one you don't really have to sell people on, I don't think. Like when you talk about it and you say, oh, yeah, and South Carolina's in it and Kentucky's in it and... West Virginia's in it. Like everyone knows those teams. You don't have to do a sell job of like, now trust me, Marshall's really good at soccer. Like, I feel like it's going to be pretty easy to say that, like, yes, this is a really good league and people to believe it. And yeah, I'm excited to see what's next. I'm excited to check out these matches either in person or on ESPN Plus, whatever it is, because it's going to be a really competitive league. I feel like we're talking about Sunbelt football at this point, but no, we're talking about the other football. Um, and I, I don't could make be that, talking about Sunbelt baseball. I don't. Yeah, I don't make that terrible joke to insinuate that I'm a dumb American who doesn't know what football is. But I make that joke because this is what the inflection of all these new schools has truthfully done to this conference. You know, we just have another sport here who the floor and the ceiling are just going to be completely elevated just by the quality of talent that is coming into this league. I mean, it's just another conference. It's another league that we have to care about where the conference is just going to be better as a whole. And that's exciting. And I, and I, you know, I know that Sunbelt teams have been kind of scattered around because there wasn't organized Sunbelt soccer, but obviously the quality of soccer that is going to be now in this league. I mean, that's really important. And especially just having it being in a local setting, you know, that's going to be really, really impactful for some of those players. Yeah. And I think this was a point raised on Twitter by our friends, state of Atlanta, that it might be the most impactful 
part of the realignment. And a lot of that is because when Marshall was considering coming, they like one of their hard lines was going to be that the, the Sunbelt had to reinstate soccer. Like that was a big part of it for them. And in the same way, it brought along, I would say, these, you know, in other sports, power conference teams, you know, your West Virginia's Kentucky, South Carolina, because they recognize the quality of the league as well. And so this is certainly when you look at all that's happened with the realignment in the last couple of months, one of the areas where immediately you can see the payoff because, you know, we'll see where the new schools are. They, they all had down years in basketball. And I think that it was down years and that all of JMU and ODU and Marshall and maybe Southern Miss uh, are better than what they were this past season in basketball. But in soccer, you're going to immediately see, I mean, Marshall's got a good football team, but it probably wouldn't surprise anyone for them to immediately come in and win the Sunbelt in soccer, in men's soccer, because they're a really good program. And so I think it's going to be a place where if you're paying attention, you're making sure you're following along all the Sunbelt sports, you're immediately going to, this is what's going to, immediately be obvious that is the benefit of the realignment. I mean, case in point, it's back. Like they brought, brought it all back. Like this momentum made the Sunbelt re-sponsor a sport. Thanks as always, Mike, for the question. And last but not least, some sports bits for you. There's plenty going on in Panther Athletics this week, starting with men's tennis traveling down I-16 to face Georgia Southern in Statesboro at 1 p.m. today as of the release of this podcast, then host Tennessee Tech in Atlanta Sunday at 1 p.m. Track and field will spend Friday and Saturday in Tampa at the USF Invite. Beach Volleyball hosts the GSU Digging Duels on the Sand in Atlanta Friday and Saturday, facing Tampa, Austin P, UT Chattanooga, and UAB. Softball hosts UT Arlington at the Bob Heck Softball Complex Friday at 5 p.m., Saturday at 1 p.m., and Sunday at 1 p.m., before hosting Alabama State later in the week on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Baseball heads to Conway, South Carolina to face Coastal Carolina in a three-game stretch Friday at 6, Saturday at 2 p.m., and Sunday at 1 p.m., all three of those games will be on ESPN+. The bus slot boys travel just up the road to Midtown later in the week, facing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. on ACC Network Extra. Women's tennis travels to Jonesboro, Arkansas to face Arkansas State Saturday at 11 a.m. And women's soccer hosts Clayton State at the Downtown Soccer Complex Saturday at noon and then turns right back around for a second game that afternoon at 3 p.m. versus Middle Georgia State. So lots going on in Panther Athletics. Get out there, support the Panthers, follow along online, and we will be right back at it again next week with more discussion about all things Georgia State sports. But until then, see you later.